0: welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by segmentify
1: so hello everyone this is carlos again with another uh, e-commerce growth show episode um we're joined today by ron thurston and scott Emons, i'm with evolve so scott please uh a few words about ron and then we we get started
0: All right. Thanks, Carlos. So hi, everyone. I'm Scott Emmons,
1: lover of retail
0: and uh, uh, innovation. And and we have the perfect guest today, uh, Mr. Ron Thurston, who is also uh, in his official bio starts off with loves retail and proud of it. Uh, Ron has led retail teams for some of America's most prominent uh, brands and inspired thousands of store employees and traveled relentlessly uh, across the country to sit and listen to what they have to say. Uh, uh, he started out uh, in the early days as a part-time sales associate, uh, and uh, is today a vice president of stores at Intermix, as mm-hmm. well as sits on the board of Goodwill Industries, which I find very interesting, and, and you know, we'll uh, probably ask a question or two about that, as well as uh, as we uh, uh, discuss, uh, have our discussion today. So welcome, Ron. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thanks to both of you. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Right. Thank you. And, and we had uh, uh, actually originally scheduled this to be, uh, you know, a, a week before and the, the weather here in Texas uh, became uh, more like Antarctica than Texas and, uh, you know, affected my ability to connect to the Internet. So uh, glad we could we could shuffle our schedules and and, and uh, uh, manage to meet uh, meet up today. So. Let, so let's just start off, uh, you know, with tell us about what you do today and uh, uh, what's your role uh, as uh, Vice VP at uh, Intermix.
2: Yeah, sure. So thank you. you know, I, my day to day is different every day. And I think that's the beauty of of retail is that every day is different and that every day brings business challenges. I mean, what you just said about weather, you, know, you can't predict those things. So then all of a sudden you spend time figuring out a, a logistics plan about making sure your teams are safe, of course, number one, you know, how long does the store need to be closed? What what does that need to make sure that, you know, we can continue to do business? Then, you know, then other, um you know, products, product conversations come up, HR conversations happen, um, real estate, finance, planning, um, motivating the team. I spend a lot of time on Zoom right now. Motivating stores, so it's in lieu of traveling around the country, um, visiting teams. I spend I do a lot of it on Zoom, and we do store walkthroughs. We look at windows. We talk about product. We talk about business, and so it's as if I'm I'm traveling until we can, um, and seeing them. So every day is different, but that's the joy of this business.
0: So, so you know, the, you know the elephant in the room. Whenever you know we 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 talk about retail, right? Is this last year of craziness uh, that we've all lived through so uh, how are things going uh in, in your part of the business you know uh, uh you know i would say that you know you're in the fashion business yep. and, and and that's been a tough one uh,
1: yep.
0: i came i came from eva marcus so I know a little bit uh, about uh fashion retail uh, though i think you know what, where you guys sit is a, a bit different niche uh, yeah. so so how so how are things going how have you guys had to pivot uh, to meet these these incredible challenges we've seen over the last 12 months
2: yeah it's been a, it's been quite a ride because what what's important in the multi-brand space is that you are always staying relevant and bringing in the brands and then the the styles and the skews from those brands that are most relevant so we spent a lot of time early on saying well if we were kind of this n- night out dress you know, where to work destination, we have to understand how she's behaving, what is she asking for and how can we pivot the assortment? So the, the beauty in multi-brand is you can go back to vendors that you have great relationships with and say, I want to cancel that order, but I'm going to order this instead. Or I'd like to RTV this product and bring something else in. So we spend a lot of time reassorting the, the inventory, changing some of the aesthetics, thinking about how the client is shopping. Um, but it also you know, in the fashion space, not all parts of the country were created equal. So there was a large kind of influx of clients in certain cities like Florida, Palm Beach, Aspen, Connecticut, um, and other more remote cities on the West Coast. And so it, some of the business changed, but some of it actually grew really quickly. And she was then in a different home, in a different city, and ready to shop in a different way. And so the not only did the assorbent have to change, but the, where, that, where those brands sat, what parts of the country, what the inventory levels were, how do we fill from stores for web orders? There was a lot of logistics, a lot of product, um, a lot of people, you know, conversations, of course, um, but we were definitely hearing a lot today about the optimism of 2021 and what she's shopping for and, and her fashion needs.
0: Right, great. So uh, you have uh, provided uh, you know a wealth of uh, things that we can talk about with the publishing of your new book, uh, Retail Pride: The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career, um, which uh, I'm you know was really impressed by the book. You know I you know in preparation for doing this interview. Uh, You know, I bought the book and I and I read the book, you know, so that, uh, you know, I could come fully armed. And I know uh, Carlos has done the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I, I have to say that for me, the book really hit the mark in a lot of different ways. And and I see there are others, many others out in the world that, you know, have have communicated the same the same thing. And it's generated a lot of buzz. And, you know, I could see that there's lots of people that have been interested to, you know, to bring you on to their various shows Mm -hmm. and podcasts and talk about uh, I talked about the book. So uh, congratulations on, you know, you know, it being so well received. First, thank of all, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's in that title, right? The guide to celebrating your accidental career. I mean, I'll share very briefly that my retail career is very accidental. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, right from the get go, you resonated with me because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I spent 16 years doing IT stuff. Uh, and and business intelligence and and things that were not retail at all and uh, and I came to a two week engagement at Neiman Marcus for retail and that locked me in the sixteen years of uh, you know being a fanboy for retail uh, you know yeah. and, and it's ruined me uh, I don't I don't I don't think I could go back to that I think I'm stuck uh, you know in the retail world it's a, it's addicting uh, I'm telling
2: you it is. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, so uh, thank you, uh, uh, you know, for uh, uh, telling your story. You know, it was a reoccurring theme starting early in the book and throughout the book about your grandfather's influence uh, Mm -hmm. on your retail career. And, you know, I'd love to hear you speak to that.
2: No, thank you. Um, So I grew up in South Lake Tahoe, California, very small town that was, that was um, at the time, you know, my grandfather was building some of the first schoolhouses and grocery stores and custom homes, and it ended up growing his business to build most of the Safeway grocery stores on the West Coast, and so it became a large construction company that employed you know, my entire family. But his influence on my leadership was important because I I watched him. Visit a job site like I visit a store, and I would watch him engage with everyone on the job site, understanding who they are, maybe a little bit about their family. His level of of engagement was always really inspiring to me, and and I don't think I even understood what that meant at the time until I started working in retail and said, "Oh, if I when I visit stores, I don't want to just." Speak to the leadership team. I want to. I want to know the whole team, and so my grandfather would do the same. You don't just speak to the leadership. You understand what everyone working on the project, what their contribution is, and how to listen with curiosity, and how to ask great questions, and how to um, feel very kind of human and engaged. And so it was a huge influence for me, and. He, while I didn't want to work in in construction, he knew that early on. I, I'm the oldest, um, firstborn grandchild, so I think there was always this assumption that I was going to kind of be in the business. And I was like, Papa, it's like not going to happen. I'm going to fit. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to fashion school. I'm going to work in fashion. And I didn't always work in fashion, but that was you know as a 16 year old, and. I just realized the the older I got how much I really learned from watching him lead. And, and he continued to be my sounding board and mentor. And he was, he's that, that guy that at 92 was still working three days a week at the Sacramento food bank and going to the gym. And I was like, that's, that's me. Like, that's what I'm going to be doing. And I, he was very inspirational for me.
0: And, and when did you, uh, have that aha moment, right? That uh, uh, retail was the right place for you. Yeah,
2: and I, so I studied fashion design and, and retail, um, called retail, like retail marketing. And I did have a design career, but I, when I really figured it out um, as a store manager for Gap kids at the time, so this is early nineties. And I just, it all started to click of like, I understand product from and design from having a design background. I understand um, kind of the, the store environment. I, and the selling and leading, it just, it all clicked together. I'm like, this is the best possible version of how to use my skills. And, oh, and it was starting to navigate that and realize I can actually run higher volume. I can do even... Um, bigger projects. And and when I became a, a district manager, um, I I realized that I had a skill that was unique that I could then teach to other people and learn how to lead in a multi-store space. And, and then from there, it's just like you said, Scott, I, like I was hooked. I'm like, I will always work in this business. And then from there it was just choosing, you know, which brands to do it for. Uh, but I I love the 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 joy like the celebration that comes from our industry the the way that we connect with each other and the customer it's like we have all these shared experiences and the the product decide the industry itself is an incredible wealth of talent that is kind of under under celebrated and underrepresented. which is why i titled the book retail pride to be proud to work in retail it's not something that a lot of people have said
0: yeah, you know, I, I, it feels like it's sort of evolved over time. Where it's it's a it's a a much uh, cooler place to be now than maybe it was back in you know the '90s. Yeah. Uh, or you know, back when I was going to school, and I'll date myself in the '80s when I was you know you know I had you know a part time retail job, uh, you know, just to kind of help myself you know work my way through school, uh, you know, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so one of the things you talk about. Uh, you know, I, I, throughout the book, you know, there's this theme of, you know, kind of amazing sort of people management skills and, and, and how important that is uh, yeah. to be a, to be a great leader uh, and, and successful uh, in retail. But one of the things that really caught my eye uh, is where you talked about how visual merchandising was uh, something that, you know, you really enjoyed and, uh, you know, that gave you, you know, gave you enjoyment and pride. Uh, as well and you know i have to tell you the arc of my career really changed when i got as as a technology guy right as an i.t guy uh, and that's where i was at nima marcus uh, you know for the first seven eight years that i was there i was an i.t guy Um, Mm -hmm. and then i got connected with the creative team uh, and started working you know with technology solutions that supported creative uh, in stores and it just changed my whole yeah. And outlook and excitement. So I'd love to hear more about, uh, uh, you know, that, that visual, piece visual of retail. Yeah.
2: You know, so I think if, if we think about the best version of retail today, that is that differentiates itself from the, your web, your e-commerce experience is that really like well merchandised, well-designed, well, um, stores that flow are critical to the store experience. But if I, to answer your question, if I think back, I recognize that if it, if it looks, um, if it's neat, it's colorful, it's organized, it's easy to shop, it's easy to find, it's um, engaging, inspiring. If all of that works, then it has an enormous impact on your business and your, and your brand. So it was this like test and learn, um, what worked? How, how could it change, how could I teach it? And so through my career, um, my first 10 years at, at Gap, I did end up taking on a corporate visual merchandising role. So we would, there was a mock, still is, a mock store built in San Francisco of all the, of all the different brands. And we would spend a week there just playing, merchandising, playing, dressing mannequins, creating what the, the product of the season would be. And then photograph it, and then I would travel around the country and teach visual merchandising. And the best part about that is, you can take a store that looks good, an average store, and you can say, you know, let's let's break into teams. You work on this project. Um, I'm going to lead this, and you take a store that's fine into like, wow, like this store looks great with the exact same inventory, the exact same people and you've changed the customer's perception of, of a brand via visual merchandising with the exact same product. So it isn't always about how to add more cost or buy more props or do things. It's about the, like the aesthetic, the, the messages you're trying to send. How do, can you story tell through visual merchandising? How can signage impact it, mannequin placement? Um, you know, Even I'll think back to my, my time at Apple and while you may not sense that it's a high-touch visual merchandising experience, it actually is highly thought through about exactly where every phone is placed, where every MacBook is placed, every phone case um, that's on the wall. It's That's all merchandised with intent on the customer experience. And so it doesn't have to be just fashion, you know, I merchandised West Elm stores um, and today, you know, for for me at Intermix, every store is merchandised differently. Every window is different in every store based on the customer. It's all its all an incredibly important component to well-done retail. And it's so much fun at the same time.
0: Yeah, one of the disappointing things to me was as, uh, you know, it started, you know, around 2008, when things got really rough, you know, from an economy standpoint, you uh, you know, one of the things I saw in you know my own where I was at and, and, and really in, in other retailers as well was you know this uh, you know management by cost reduction and, and one of the places where they reduced costs was that visual team yeah uh, and uh, you know I think I think that was you know cutting off your nose despite your face almost uh, uh, in a way
2: yeah. Uh, yeah because what happens is the customer expects at a certain level, They've, they may have done their homework in advance. So this is kind of what happens today is you may find a brand on Instagram. You may be on that brand's website. You are experiencing it in unique ways. And then your intent, you go into the store and their Instagram may be really cool and their website like highly designed and really inspiring. And maybe there's even a chat function on the website or so like you've engaged with the brand in multiple ways. But if, you're, if you then you arrive at the store and that experience doesn't align because of visual merchandising, because of people, because of all of those different variables, if you've, if you've extracted out all the skill in merchandising, you've lost your ability then to inspire the customer for a future purchase. So if you just say, I'm going to, we're just gonna put it all, all the product as much, we're gonna shove as much product as possible on the floor and just let the customer figure out, that is not a solution for the future of retail anymore. It, the work has to go into how do you represent the brand really, really well that is aligned with all the other channels. And merchandising can't be the one that is left to its own devices in stores. You won't, you just won't win anymore. The customer's bar is too high.
0: Customer's bar is too high. Yeah. So that's a good segue, uh, you know, uh, this, this whole visual thing, right? is very tied to the physical store uh but you know the, the 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 digital touch points to customers have, have have certainly accelerated importance you know over a time where you know kind of physical presence is is discouraged yeah. uh, uh in yeah. many areas so uh, uh by you know by requirement to you know keep everybody safe so um well, you know, I know uh, there's some quotes uh, in the book, like, uh, digital experiences will never replace your relationship with the person at your local store who knows you best, sure. uh, as an example. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I I think that, you know, as a result uh, of the pandemic, this acceleration of the, the digital channel becoming so intertwined with the physical one that uh, it's really starting uh, to be very hard to to not do one without the other. I'd love to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. So, I, th- this idea of you—you you can certainly build a brand in these incredible new ideas that that start to grow and evolve and and have short-term leases, and it's such a good way to to engage, like you said, in multiple channels. But then you walk into the store and you're like, wow, this is such an incredible expression. Maybe it's highly curated in a very small subset of your assortment, but it's highly curated for a customer experience. And, you know, when you think about brands like Bonobos, where I led and helped build out, you know, what today is the guide shop model for them, it's a brand with no inventory in 60 physical locations. And that it's their only purpose is to create an experience and to, to teach you know, what size should you be wearing? What styles do you like? How do I wear this together? I have a special event. How should my tux fit? And you know, this idea of it's all—it's an experience that you can't create on a website, yet all the inventory and all the sales come through web. That's a really powerful business model that is still successful for them and has been replicated since and can be quite cost-effective because that customer is more valuable, that customer shops more often, spends more money, and so that return on the investment, especially without inventory, is is huge for brands. So I think it it continues to evolve and to um, morph into new things. But I think this idea of being like one channel is really not, it, it, that's not the future at all.
0: So, you know, what? what... I founded the innovation lab at Nima Marcus. So technology is near and dear to yeah. my heart. And uh, you know, that, that job was all about uh, trying to find, you know, the best and brightest next big thing, right. That we should be doing. What's yeah. what, what, what is that? What's going on? What, what, what should we be thinking about and looking at?
2: And so I love, so there are brands like podium that do, you know, so much incredible work just via text. So if you think about the fact that you pick up your phone, you know, a couple hundred times a day, and that your likelihood to respond to a text from a brand is at like a 90 plus percent open rate versus email. And so if you're engaged with the brand and you're receiving maybe text messages from there, you can pay via text, you can post reviews via text, you understand all of this, um, the technology that's the easiest way to use it. So like Podium does that really well. We use Hero on our own site at Intermix, which is a chat function that connects you directly in store.
0: And well, Hero is actually a direct competitor to the company I, I work oh, for today. I so, it, yeah. so let me. I, <laughs> so I'll be happy to talk with you about that offline and and and. Please. And help yeah. Me, but I, that.
2: But yeah, <laughs> but I think you know the idea of of how do you integrate tech. I've yeah, I've seen your website and it felt more video based, but. Um, you know, the fun that you can have of connecting via, via the website not being in stores is super interesting and continues to evolve. Um, live shopping, you know, all of that. It's a really important component to integrating in-store and e-commerce and it becomes channelless.
0: No, I, I think it really speaks that 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 kind of technology speaks to exactly what you talk about, you know, uh, the strong parts of physical, a physical store, right, yep. you know, is, is, is uh, uh, trying to replicate that close personal relationship, right, you know, when they can't be there with you. You know, I, you know, I guess, that, you know, as, as the lab, you know, started out for me, it was all about taking all our great digital capabilities and bringing it into our very not technical stores. You know, right. the stores that stores that had no technology whatsoever, except a, an aging point of sale. Uh, but it, it, it there was a, a turning point where it was like, hey, we need to be bringing that things we're great at in our stores. So a lot of the things you talk about in your book, and you know, how do we replicate that for digital? Uh, yep. We're short-chain, yep. You know, we're, we 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 were retailers as a whole we're were shortchanging their digital customers. It felt like. I,
2: I would agree, and I think it's making progress really quickly. And you can watch what's happening in other parts of the world of where we probably have some catching up to do in the U.S. So,
0: you know, I know one of the the, the challenges uh, that I face as an IT guy that became a retail guy, right, yeah. uh, was that uh, the retail part of the of the business didn't speak IT and IT did not realize that they were in the retail business. <laughs> Any thoughts there?
2: I definitely agree with that. I think um, it's, it's almost, yeah, I think sometimes under, the, the store teams can be under um, or misunderstood of their ability and, and want for technology. Because if you think about the, the kind of old school selling, client telling, writing thank you notes or banking phone calls, it, it's just old news. And so i think from an i.t perspective you have to be able to say we know that we're, we're texting we are whatsapp we're chatting we're doing video stores are doing all of that many of them on their own until the company provides the technology and so they're already doing the work and so if a brand can say wait let, let's give you all company phones let's provide the resources let's give you all the technology then the teams are 100 percent invested in doing it well.
0: Have you done that? Have you provided phones for your associates? We have.
2: We have yeah. Every employee. And I think that, that that's just the investment that companies have to make to grow this side of the business. That's otherwise really it just hear. becomes yeah. Otherwise it just becomes kind of this secondary nice to do, well, you know, how did you sell a million dollars this year? Well you didn't do it from walk-in traffic. And so you've got to be able to Um, understand what they need, and then make that investment. And sometimes, you know, it can be small. It can be a pilot. You can test and learn and grow from there. But there definitely are brands that are making that investment today.
1: Uh, um, Ron, uh, from um, just to jump in, uh, technology also uh, standpoint, like there's a brand in Brazil called Reserva. Don't know if you ever heard of them. Yeah, no. they famous there. But um, what they've done during the pandemics, because everything closed down, was, was to, well, everybody had to become uh, salespeople. So regardless mm-hmm. your title, you're say, you were in sales. So, but they had a very robust uh, ERP or CRM, sorry, CRM system yep. where everyone could, you know, find the contact of the customers and then get them on WhatsApp. Um, and just have a, a chat you know just to catch up and stuff like that and they actually did really well you know mm-hmm. um, they they went through that, that tough period where no one knew what was going to happen like surprisingly well and they sold and because of the the human aspect that you talk in your book so I like to understand maybe and to ask you about because you talk a lot of, uh, a, a lot about the human aspect you know yeah. combined with technology and what have you guys done during this period I think that would be uh, super interesting to hear. Yeah.
2: Um, so I, we did a very similar idea that um, while we did have until the store reopened um, for my personal brand, the teams were on furlough and not able to do that with their clients. But we reopened pretty quickly. You know, with the power of of Gap Bank behind you, we were able to get stores um, and find PPEs in e supplies um, pretty quickly. And so we were back up in business all around the country um, within like six, eight weeks. And so then, but from that point until today, there is an enormous amount of work that goes into exactly what you're describing, Carlos, is outreach, checking in, kind of where where are you? What part of the world are you in? How can I help you? Is it consignment business? Is it um, setting an appointment? Is it virtual styling? How can we support you building your business? And while the fashion point, the fashion segment was hit a little more, you know, in a tougher way. Now that the clients are starting to book travel again and to to think about summer vacations and fall events, and there's a lot that's happening, her response to all that outreach is actually increasing. An appointment setting is increasing, and um, all all of it has become. Um, a much uh, more generous conversation from the client instead of, well, I'm not going anywhere. I don't need anything to actually, now I have a lot of plans. All right. and I need to get going. So yes, that, that technology supported the, any technology supported the experience during shutdown. That's just relationship building. It's all human.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, what I like to ask you as well, it's about the importance of, of retail. Cause you know, in your book, you says that, uh, you say that retail is physical retail. It's it's um, it's not taken seriously, and we are in a headline society, so to speak, right? So, yeah. and then you have some really really interesting data. Like it employs 42 million people, 3.6 million retail establishments, and I like you to perhaps comment on the importance of physical retail uh, today because it's a lot more about the experience, right? Right, compared to
2: it's. I actually believe. And the, those, those statistics will certainly have evolve and be re-reported for 2021, but the, the way that the future feels so, you know, kind of e-commerce, the, the, the headlines can feel very e-commerce centric. Mm-hmm. But what I firmly believe is when we have the ability and need and, and want for that experience, it will immediately translate back into the store. And that that the physical retail component of our industry will actually never be more important because we were we've all been forced to shop online even more. And and it's it's almost like you've had e-commerce burnout and you actually now you want to go back and buy something. Or
1: and, Zoom burnout for that matter. Yeah,
2: it's exactly or Zoom burnout. Uh but you know, all of it, we've all had like technology overrun. And now we want to go back and eat with our friends. We want to go back into physical retail. We want to have those experiences and that's where we can all be that much more ready, tech enabled, hired, trained, motivated. And when that client comes back, you know, that we're there with with open arms and make business again. So I am very bullish on while it's really difficult to walk around New York city today where I am and see the amount of store closures. That is really tough to look at. Yeah. What I also know is that that's going to be um, reinvigorated over time as tourism and, and revenue starts to flow back into cities.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm so ready for all the things you just mentioned. Yeah. You know, <laughs> dinner with friends and travel and, and all those things. It's uh, 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 it, yeah. it, it, just, it seems like it's been an eternity uh, yep. you know, this this last 12 months, uh, to be honest. I, I, you know, and just as a comment, I would say, I was very excited that, you know, how casually you referenced, you know, things like virtual styling and, and you know, a robust appoint scheduling capabilities and those sorts of things that just kind of table stakes, uh, which 12 months ago, they were not.
2: They, uh, they were not, neither yeah. was like buy online, yeah. pick up in store, live inventory <laughs> on your site. All of that is really an important. The, the customer has no patience for you anymore. If you, if you can't seamlessly move between channels. You can't be a brand that doesn't have a functioning website, that doesn't understand where your inventory sits, that can't deliver it in a timely fashion, that doesn't have good return policies, that doesn't send a free, free return label. Like those, that's just price of entry at this point. You can't play in the game if you don't have the basics of all the technology and great people put together today.
0: Absolutely. So uh, you, you uh, have an entire section of the book that talks about uh, the pillars of retail expertise. You have three pillars, uh, uh, you know, which were empathy, curiosity, and focus. Uh, And, you know, I, I, for a lot of us, you know, that just sort of, we had this accidental retail career, right? You know, we weren't trained uh, to be retailers. We learned on the job uh, uh, can you speak to these to the, the three pillars and and, and how they uh, helped you excel and you know how you're helping yeah. others uh, to yeah. do the same?
2: Yeah. I thanks. I'd love to. Yeah. You know, and and those three words you may say, well, those are commonly used words, but the way I reference them that is specific to brick and mortar retail is that the best version of a customer experience and interaction that we have as human is highly empathetic is that great salespeople know how to listen and put themselves in that customer's shoes and sell them or propose things that they know that they are going to respond to. And that comes through great empathy. And I also think on the flip side, leadership today has never been more empathetic about what are you personally experiencing? How has the last year been for you? What what impact has COVID had on you, and how can I be an empathetic leader? So I think if you have empathetic teams and leadership that supports those ideas that are alt that aren't always just pushing for more sales, but are actually encouraging human interaction. So I put empathy as an important part of retail. Curiosity, you know, is also a sales technique, but it's also the way that you re-engage. How have you been? Like, what have you been doing? Where, where has the where has the last year taken you and so you're also then being curious about technology curious about what's happening in our industry curious what's happening in the world and being really educated about brick and mortar retail today and and the impact that it has so i would encourage that level of you know vendor exploration and and being highly curious and you know also with your teams and the the focus piece you know, I I love the word because anyone that's spent a lot of time working in stores like I have know that there's a million things that come at you every day. When I think back being a store manager, you know, the the back door's ringing with a shipment coming in the back door. Someone just stole something off the front of the table. Someone, the phone's ringing because someone's calling in sick. Oh, and by the way, your boss wants to have a Zoom call right now. Oh, and there's 25% 25% capacity. So now I need to put stanchions outside and start a line. Like I could give you 50 things that are about to happen to you the minute you unlock the door. And for me, I'm like, you've got to f- focus on what's important today, prioritize your list and be really good at what you need to get accomplished. And that's a skill you know, that I um, try to work on every day as well, but it's a Great retail leaders are really focused on what they need to accomplish at the store level. So there's a very emotional side of empathy, um, kind of uh, the ability to listen and learn, and being curious. And if you're focused, there's a lot that you can accomplish. And those three pillars seem to really resonate with people that work in stores.
0: Yeah, it, look, it resonates with people that work in the back office too. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, that was what the the you know the another aha moment. You know, for me. Uh, you know, is when I figured out that the customer was the people that came into the store and bought a handbag. It was not the business, right? Yeah. Which is which is how IT ten- was was conducting, you know, their day to day. That the customer was the business, and that was wrong. Yeah. Uh, the customer is the same customer as the people in the store, and uh, we support the business in doing a better job, right? Of of, yeah. uh, of uh, serving, you know, that uh, that customer. So, you know, it, it was another one of those day. I, it changed my whole career you know just that simple little you know change in uh, you know how i thought about yeah. it yeah you know it feels like you know the 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 empathy and and curiosity and and, and these things are also you know sometimes what's distinctly missing in the digital experience yeah. you know yeah. and 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 you know uh Endless algorithms that can predict what we think you might uh, like—you know—to fill your screen with uh, you know possible uh, uh, options for you to put in your basket—is not a replacement for those things.
2: Right, could not agree more. And that's where some of that technology has helped, but it's not—it's not the same. I think it's it can be a nice bridge to at least get questions answered or or have a a live shopping, Um, but that but empathy is such a human behavior and That can't be done on an algorithm,
0: right? It's, it's maybe technology catches up and we have empathetic algorithms in the future that actually resonate, but uh, we're not there. We're a long way from there. It feels like we're a
2: long way from there, which is why I keep going, you know, back to being so bullish about stores. Is you know that, and maybe it actually I'll use Bonobos again as a reference. Maybe it is that you spent an hour in the store and you never buy anything, but you have such an important and influential opinion of that brand based on the people you just interacted with or or the reverse. So when not done well, people in a retail business can destroy it. And so I also wanna be cautious of, it, it takes all of us as leaders to inspire and lead teams to greatness, that it doesn't always just happen by itself. We've all had bad retail experiences. But when done really well, it's the best version of your brand. And it doesn't always result in a sale and I'm okay with that because it's brand building. And it's, yeah, you
0: get your best cheerleaders out of those sorts of interactions.
2: Yeah, you really do, you do. And, and, and I, am, I celebrate things like you know Medallia you know, and NPS scores as much as I celebrate sales today. That is an, a really important component is the customer's likelihood to recommend today. Excellent. Yeah.
0: So when thinking about the foundations of great retail leadership, another uh, a topic that you spend quite a bit of time in the book uh, talking about, uh, you know, one of the things I felt like I witnessed is as I as I got the opportunity to spend more and more times in the store as my role, you know, from IT changed to more in the middle, uh, uh, you know, and, and thinking about innovation and helping deliver technology to stores, you know, and, and watching how store management interacted, you know, with store teams, uh, you know, sometimes it felt like there was a lot of stick and not a lot of carrot, you know, and, 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 and and some of the ways that, you know, uh, they tried to inspire, uh, you know, better results, you know, from their associates. And, uh, you know, I think you have probably a lot of, of, of great ideas on better ways uh, uh, to motivate uh, if you wanted to, you know, spend a minute or two talking about
2: that. Yeah. So I would go back and, and say, if you're empathetic and curious, you learn what your team needs from you. Don't assume that they want money or that they want, um, you know, their, their break room refrigerators stocked with things like actually say, what, what would, what would motivate you most? you know, let's let you build the contest. Let's let you build the compensation plan. Where are you going to get the most benefit? And so it actually becomes field up versus top down. And so if you want to roll out great programs, it's about putting the people who do the work in a room together, on a call together, and, and really challenge and be highly curious. And then deliver what they told you they wanted. Because if you spend you know, 90 days building a compensation program, that's not at all what they told you they wanted, they're not going to be motivated. So I think you listen, you learn, you ask questions, you think about how am I going to get the best results? And then you deliver that. And I have found, you know, success in not making assumptions that you know what your team wants, ask them. And then maybe it is, maybe they do want you know, snacks for a week in the refrigerator. Like that would motivate them like crazy um and so do that and that's versus you know trying to give everybody a raise or so listen and and implement and then share the success like this is what you wanted so let's try this for a while let's let's monitor the success and celebrate it Um, and I don't think enough time is always spent listening to the people doing the work
1: my question then is about uh company culture sorry scott maybe i was rude but no no
0: please please
1: because i think that is part of the culture just as well as i mean recruiting company culture go hand in hand i i work with this company uh ceo leader and he said and it's this is a big company now tech company he said i would never ever outsource recruiting because it's like asking someone else to choose your wife to pick the wife for you, you know. And I thought that was such a brilliant analogy to to, yeah. to you know to, to compare uh, recruiting with someone picking you know your girlfriend or your wife. And uh, I, I like to hear your thoughts on uh, first off recruiting, right? Because you talk about uh, networking as well as one of the the skills, and uh, you know, I teach LinkedIn is one of the things that I do, and. Yeah. Um, it's so important and things that people there are so many people who do not understand it yet, you know, like yeah. how important LinkedIn is like networking and how do you, you know, just uh, open up a conversation like yeah. I, we, we weren't connected. So I, I hit you up with a message, of yeah. course, I you know, uh, spoke about the episodes that we've done, but how great it would be to uh, would be to it would uh, be to have you on the show and blah, blah, blah. And people take it for granted, and uh, you know. So I, I like to hear your thoughts on recruiting. And
2: uh, yeah, I mean, re- recruiting and, and networking, you know, is is one of my favorite topics because, in an industry that is often you know so accidental and so self taught, and and you're you're choosing the brands to work for, and there's thousands of different brands to choose from that sometimes the best advice comes from your network and that so do those jobs. And so the better you are at learning how to net, utilize LinkedIn for sure. But even more importantly, you know, the last year has given us access to people on webinars and a lot of free content that's been streamed constantly, which is really interesting because you, you're seeing people live that you don't always have access to. And then, you know, events sought, you know, one of my goals with the book has been building even a stronger retail community that didn't exist because you may, there could be a, a mall group that a manager goes to, like a mall meeting. There could be community events and, and within your own company. But what I have found is store managers mostly, you know, and, and that's the biggest population here, are the least well-networked. Mm-hmm. And they don't really understand how it works. And they're almost afraid to um, to build, what am I trying to say? They're almost afraid to build their network for fear of it looks like they're job hunting. Yeah. And I'm like, the healthier your network, the better you're going to be. And then you have, have access. The minute you have a job opening, you know exactly who you're going to hire for them. You don't need a recruiter. So I, there's it's all upside value. But I do think it's a it's a taught skill a little bit and then once it gets here then you you keep growing and keeps growing
1: yeah are you in clubhouse because i saw that um because it's growing like in brazil scott just asked me hey man you have to be in clubhouse and i'm like
2: I, I, i am yeah i've started um i also host a live zoom um like saturday mornings with ron that's entirely just networking all right. that I use the breakout rooms on Zoom and, and help people connect. But I've been doing some of that on Clubhouse. And it's also like, it's all meeting people unexpectedly that where you can offer yourself up with a generous spirit of like, what can I do to help you? Perfect. And today, I think that's a really important empathetic message to have. You know, how can I help you?
0: You know, I'm a Clubhouse newbie. You know, I really just signed up and I got this message out of the blue yesterday to come join a talk. I didn't know what I was doing. I just said, okay, And all of a sudden I'm on stage, you know, with, you know, three or four kind of retail pundits, uh, uh, you know, and talking about uh, retail stuff. And uh, I was like, wow, this feels amazing. In fact, this feels like it's going to really disrupt the conference business uh, because I don't really need to go pay to see a panel uh, anymore. I can just log on to this and there's probably one going on at any given time, right? There,
2: yeah, might be for sure. Yeah. It's, it's early days, but it's, it's an interesting concept for sure. Great, great networking opportunities.
0: You know, I, I when I was reading the book, uh, uh, you know, another uh, quote I grabbed was your customers are only satisfied because their expectations are so low and no mm-hmm. one else is doing better. And, and, and I thought of that just now that quote, because, uh, uh, I, the, one of the people I was on stage with yesterday in Clubhouse was Steve Dennis, and that feels a lot like Steve's message, yes. uh, yeah. you know, about about mediocre uh, retail. Uh, yeah, so so how is how does Ron Thurston, you know, how are you solving the mediocre retail uh, problem? And I think you know the fact that, that you're with Intermix is you know is, is probably uh, helps a lot with that. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts.
2: It does, you know, I, I think pr- people who are proud. Of what they do and the brands that they work for inherently do a better job every day and you know i I think about this if you if you took pride today in enhancing the life of two customers i'm going to take pride today in the fact that i'm going to show up with my best energy possible i'm going to do my best work and i'm going to achieve my goal it's like this idea of being proud of what you do how you do it and that work is what ultimately delivers better, and as Steve would say, like remarkable retail. Like that's true, but that only happens when those of us that sit in leadership seats create a culture where people are proud to work and or a a brand or an environment and that are heard and recognized and celebrated and um, encouraged to do great work every day. And if they're really proud of what they do, and they know that, that their hard work is being seen and heard, they, th- that right there will improve the customer experience. And so when I say the bar is low, I actually think sometimes it's been low because this has not always been a great career for people to be proud of. And I wanted to say, it's a great career And that you should be really proud to do it because here's all the amazing skills you've learned along the way. And sometimes I've sat with candidates and they'll, it's almost like they they are like so immersed in the fact that it's accidental that they don't have a great story to tell. And I was like, you I would just push back and, and say, you run a multi-million dollar business, you understand. How it operates. You understand how to read a PNL. You understand product knowledge. You know how to sell. You know how to lead a team. Like the and they're like, wow, I never thought about it that way. And they immediately become better at their job because they're they leave they might leave that the, the office with me feeling proud. And then for me, I feel like then I've just done my work as a leader through a conversation. Awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. So the last the last quote, my favorite quote. Uh, uh, oh, for, favorite for me, for me. This was for me. Uh, the best people I've known in both sales and leadership have devoted their lives to finding new solutions to old problems because I felt like that was what I did uh, yeah. and, and and got a lot of accolades for that. You know, I was I wasn't the, the problems weren't new. Uh, we just would look for new ways to solve them. I, yeah. Give me some examples of uh, how uh, how you've approached that. <laughs>
2: So I, there's certainly a technology in conversation today. So problems like contactless pay, um, client development, client tracking, um, interactions from websites. So I think there's a huge technology of solving problems to make retail better. I think that there's also an incredible, incredibly important cultural, solving the problem of poor service in stores and that that could come from payroll, training, hiring, motivating, you know, that, that there has to be an, an improved sense of leadership that is entirely focused on the field at large and that they aren't kind of this, the, the last conversation you should have or the last priority should be the first priority and that that investment in people solves the problem of where, where the industry you know, has trended for a while, and that the, the service um, experiences that customers speak about are not always positive, and, and we own that. We own the fact that you know, no one speaks ravingly about the service at Macy's. You know, the, so I think that it, we have to solve that first. We solve that through people and leadership and then if you enable it with tech, you, that's a winning formula.
0: Yeah. Look, tech is not a silver bullet. You know, I had to say that many times. Uh, it's it, 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 it's got to be combined with all the other great things that make you great at retail, right? Uh, 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 to be a solution. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of tech out there that are solutions looking for a problem uh, that, you know, people are you know are trying where they don't really, it's, 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 it's not really something they should be doing. Uh, yeah. It doesn't solve a real problem for the customer. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, we would really like to thank you uh, for coming and spending uh, uh, some time with us today, Ron. It was a, a really a great pleasure to be able to deep dive uh, onto what I thought was a very amazing book. And I highly recommend uh, that folks run out and get their copy of Retail Pride, The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career. Uh, well worth uh, uh, putting your uh, hard-earned money down and and, and uh, having a read. If uh, uh, you're in retail or love retail, uh, you should read this book.
2: Thank uh, you. And, thank you.
0: Uh, my pleasure. And Carlos, I'll, I'll hand it over to you to take us out.
1: Oh yes, same here. So thank you very much, Ron. It's a yeah. it's a pleasure to 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 meet you, like e meet you, whatever we call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's been great, like a really like a master masterclass. So fantastic. Thanks for this.
2: Thank you. My my pleasure. Thanks. We will will get this business in a way that people are really proud to work in it. I'm confident of that.
1: Ron, just one last thing. If people want to find you, what's the best way? I think it's important.
2: Yeah. um, So LinkedIn or retailpride.com has then all the links to everything to book sales and events or uh, a blog and all kinds of different things. It's all on retailpride.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank Ron. you.
2: Thank you both.